and welcome to episode 130 of Art Juice. This is honest, generous and humorous conversations to feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Louise Fletcher. And me, Alice Sheridan. I nearly said with me, Alice Sheridan. It was, I had to pause slightly. Yeah, I was very confused. I I bet some people when they see us don't know which is which. And when we do the little videos sometimes. I was thinking exactly that this week. I was thinking, you know, you just hear the voices. And I bet that there are people who've got us somehow muddled up. I remember because my favorite podcast is Reply All and it's two guys. And when I saw them, they couldn't have been more different than the voices. And it just threw me off for weeks. Yes, was like, oh, this is not right. <laughs> so it's best not to see us, everybody. So um, our topic this week is about we're going to talk all about art prints, when to make them, whether you should make them, how to make them, what to consider. And um, but first, let's just catch up with where we are, because I haven't talked to you since last week. So what have you been up to? I have been concentrating more on getting this group of work towards the finish line. And it's a very, it's a funny thing, isn't it? We spoke last week about about, um, process. I noticed that there are very different rhythms and paces at the beginning and the middle and the end of the work. And the the beginning is fun. It's exciting. You know, I'm not scared of a blank canvas anymore. Um, you're full of enthusiasm and the middle stages can go through quite a difficult process when you're not quite sure still what the outcome is going to be and if you're moving closer towards it or or not and it's both and I think it's an essential part of the process for me anyway but it's also a little bit difficult and then you I don't know you just suddenly hit that little something might click on one painting and you think oh there's something there I'm kind of happy with that and it everything sort of shifts a gear into right well now what does it mean how do I get these finished without putting that extra pressure on yourself so I'm kind of I'm kind of in that stage with them I feel like I've been in middle stages where not a lot has changed um because one of the things that I wanted to explore was how do you go with those early marks and keep those early marks and not necessarily make such huge drastic changes that feel like you've done a 180 degree turn um but also make a painting feel more finished and what's really interesting to me is that in some of them when I look back at like the early photos of them on my phone where I liked what was there and the question in my mind at that time well is this enough could this be enough and if I look at where they've got to now I kind of feel no it was definitely worth keeping going working on those a little bit more even though the bones of them were good in those early stages so you know that's a really nice thing to be able to stop and recognize so that's what I've been doing apart from getting absolutely drenched I don't know if you saw my Instagram reel it was so funny because I was doing watery paint in the studio and I I didn't hear that it was raining and I was on the bike and I left to come home and (laughs) the heavens were just tipping down and I thought well I've got to get home there's no point in walking to the tube station because I haven't got an umbrella I'll be drenched by the time I get there so let's just go for it and I was literally dripping wet my shoes are soaked they're still soaked three days later I can't get them to dry out my clothes had to be wrung out on the doorstep but it was actually quite funny everyone in the streets was like whoop 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 and not so funny for the people whose cars were getting stuck but you know there we go so that was the highlight 
question mark of my week. Yeah, we didn't get any of that heavy rain. And it's funny when when we get heavy rain and storms and things get swept away and things get flooded, it doesn't really make the news. And then when London gets some rain, it's like England bombarded with rain. It's like, uh, no, we were fine. <laughs> it's just down there where you where all the TV crews live. Well, but, it's just yeah, because so- the because there it's so much kind of roads and it's so reliant on the drainage the ground can't soak it up so it just brings all the traffic to a standstill because yeah everything gets blocked and flooded and stuff so yeah but I've I've not I've seen rain rain like it once before in London but this was pretty terrific actually had to be yeah what about you um lots of lots of personal stuff going on but in between that I've been able to get some painting done and I'm just in I'm so in flow at the moment with what I'm doing that I just want to be doing it all the time so I had half an hour between something else and then coming on with you so I was quickly putting some GAC 100 on some new panels so I can get started on those and the the series is expanding into more and more panels and panels are hard to come by at the moment so Mm -hmm. the sizes of the panels I've gone to some much bigger ones than I would normally buy panels because they're still available and because I don't like canvas and no matter how hard I try stretch canvas I just fail on it and I just it's it makes me unhappy so I don't want to be unhappy so I bought these big panels and then I was trying to get one this morning up onto my painting wall so I could seal it and it's only it's it's 60 by I think 48 or 60 by 36 I'm not sure which is yeah and it's wood and it's cradled and embraced in several places and it's really heavy to lift up onto those nails and it's not so much the heaviness it's the fact that my arms don't stretch wide enough to to get both sides of it (laughs) so if anyone walked past my studio this morning they would have heard me going "Uh, uh, uh, uh," but I did get it on there so where do you buy those because you don't have them made do you so I'm I'm in the UK too and I've had that that size made by artist surfaces um because I know people are going to ask um artist surfaces are based in Kent and they make these lovely panels that have aluminium subframes on the back so they're not quite as heavy because they don't need as much bracing but where do you buy them from well I got these from Jackson's right and, and what happened was I bought one big I think it's a 48 by 48 panel and I was surprised at how good it was because the Jackson smaller ones, the cradling's quite thin and flimsy and they warp quite easily. This bigger one, it had really deep, solid cradling and good bracing. And I thought, mm, this is better. Than- I've, I've always said I don't buy things from Jackson's over this size because da, 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 without actually trying them. And I, I really do like this one, that the big one that I bought that's 48 by 48. So I decided to try this bigger one. Now we will see, you know, yeah. over time, we'll see what happens. They're quite expensive from there, but not as expensive as artist surfaces. Cause I was looking at them because I've done something on paper that I'd like to buy a custom panel for and then adhere to the panel. So I was looking at artist surfaces and I was a bit, <laughs> when I saw how much it was going to be, but I'm sure they're wonderful, you know, and I know this stuff, if I've had them made for myself, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, by the time you've bought all the wood and the person spent all the time, it's expensive. But yeah, yeah I'm quite pleased with the, the solidity of it anyway. It seems well braced. So I'm sealing it all properly and we'll just see. All right, cool. 
And actually, that's the only size panels, I'll just say for any British people listening, that Jackson seem to have at the moment, mm. like giant ones. Mm. Everything else has gone. I've used their, their big ones up to, I think it was 36 or 40 inches, but it twisted a bit, which is why I didn't. Yeah. But they, I don't think it had cross braces. I think it just had outside, thick outside supports. Um, at that size and that's when I thought right, I need to find an alternative so it's interesting to see I wonder what's what maybe they've changed their suppliers or maybe they've brought in cross bracing for those bigger ones yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. it's cross braced but my my friend who's the handyman he said hmm makes no difference bracing it that way it won't help so I don't know if that's true but he said that's not going to help it's just for show um so I will li- see little technical question the bracing is the bracing done with a solid piece of timber or is it done with engineered ply sideways on? I have no idea. I'd have to go back and look and I'm not there at the moment. Okay. Because that's, that's the difference. Have a look, everybody, if you're interested. That's kind of the difference that artist surfaces do. They use that machine engineered ply side on. And because you, you basically you don't have the same issues with a single piece of wood that might twist and warp. Right, um, that you have with a single panel when you have a single strip of wood that does the bracing. So those are the kind of things to look at. But yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. There's no doubt about it. The artist surface ones are expensive. When you when you as I am at the moment, just painting for exploration and for yeah. myself, it feels yeah. like a huge indulgence to spend that much when I might not want to sell. You know, I might not yeah. ever get to that point with them. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's. That's it. That's where I am. So this week's topic, um, I feel like we've addressed this before as a listener question, but we've never gone into depth on it. So we thought it'd be a good topic for this week to talk about in more depth, which is making prints out of your paintings and whether you should, whether you shouldn't, what to consider when you're thinking about it, and also some of the practical how-tos. So this is something that I have not yet done. I keep getting right to the edge and then pulling away again and not bothering. And actually, recent experience of selling my book has made it less likely that I will do this, I think, Um, (laughs) for reasons I'll explain. But I know you have done it, and you've done it quite successfully. So um, how has it been for you? Um, I'm trying to think back when I first first started and what was the reason that pushed me into it? Because I think there's always a, 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 a pull between, I mean, basically what we're talking about here is reproduction G-clay print. So you've done a painting, you have a copy of it, and it's available cheaper than the original. And the issue for me was I had spent, um, you know, a couple of years part time doing printmaking, doing etching, monotypes, those kind of things where the print is the original work of art. So I was very careful. And at the time that I started selling reproduction prints, I also had original etching type prints on for sale on my website so I had to make a really clear distinction for people what the difference was you know one is a a created artwork original the other one is a copy um the reason that I started doing them was 
I wanted, it's always been important to me and one of my key drivers that artwork and artwork that can be affordable can have a place in everybody's home. That's one of the, and, and that we should be able to have that choice to, to buy from something from an artist that we like, even if we can't afford an original painting and prints offer a way to do that. So that's why I started doing it. Um, I, I, one thing that I would say that was quite interesting was when I started, there were a couple of paintings that I thought, oh, those will go really well. And I've only ever sold a, a few copies of. I, you would be surprised. I, I mean, some of them I'm not surprised at, but some of them I'm surprised. I'm like, but I love that painting. And I've only sold no. two copies of it. So it's very difficult to preempt which ones you think are going to go very well. And I think that's one of the questions. But I think when should you start to consider it? My recommendation is that you start to consider it when there is enough demand for your original work. Don't do it as simply a cheap way for people to buy your work if your originals aren't buying and aren't selling. And in that case, I recommend that people have a, have a line of work that they do that people can, can buy an original from you in a different form. Um, but that does depend on how you work. But that's what fits with my ethos about how prints go and different people have different reasons for doing it. So, Yeah, I am. I, um... I seem to prefer because I keep, like I say, getting to the edge of prints. And then one of the things you just said is a big is a big drawback for me. I know that the paintings that sell are always the ones I wouldn't have predicted, the ones that sell first if I have a, a open studios or something. And I think, well, how would I how would I know then? To, to So then I have to put this massive selection up. Now, I did get everything, all my Ted Hughes paintings photographed professionally. So I could put all of those options but I feel like too many choices is kind of confusing mm -hmm. and knowing which ones to put up I, I have no clue um so there's that but also I do really like I think it's partly because of how I work I make a lot of studies on paper and I have a lot of little bits of things lying around that I keep thinking if I got my act together, I could make a really nice section of my website with these little studies and, uh, you know, sketches and things. And people could buy something that was affordable because I agree with you. I really think that's important. And it would feel somehow better to me than prints. But I don't have anything against prints and I don't have any reason. You know, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't sell prints. It just never I keep thinking, no, I just don't want to. And partly it's the amount of work involved for yeah. the amount of reward seems like. But like you say, if you've got another motive, which is I want people to have this. For my book, I have the motive of I want to get this these ideas out into the world. So the fact that it's not very profitable and it's extremely time consuming when someone buys a book and then sends an email saying I've changed my mind because the post did just so much or could you send me two and could you sign it to this person or that person and then you're trying to create spreadsheets of everything it's making me think you know I'm glad that I've got an ulterior purpose for this because it makes it worthwhile but otherwise it would be a lot of work for a very very little return yeah 
So that purpose for why you're doing it, I think is important. You know, yeah, how does I it fit so. with what you want to create and what you're what you're making available for people? The, the other issue that I found was, for example, we, we've got a big and it's actually a screen print, but a big screen print up on the wall in our bathroom. Now, I would never recommend that somebody hangs an original painting in a bathroom with their steam. But print gives people a place to a way to decorate behind glass, kitchens, bathrooms, you know, places where you might not want to have an original. So, like I say, that was an important an important part of it for me. Um, I think, though, just with your with your thing about how much work it takes, it does take a lot of work and we'll get we'll get into that. But the thing is that once you've done the upfront work on it and if you like the upfront cost, which we'll talk about after then, it's a relatively small amount of work if you get a system in place. Whereas if you're selling individual work on paper every single time, that's got to be photographed, image edited, uploaded. And if you're selling it for a relatively small amount of money, you've got to keep doing that ad infinitum. Whereas with a print, once it exists, it lives on your website, just lives on your website. Just keep going. If I could drop ship them without a lot of expense, so I could just send the orders to someone else and they would send them off, that would be fine. But that's very expensive. And so then what it means for me is a once a week drive, 25, 30 minutes away, Actually, it's probably more like 40 minutes away to pick up the prints that were purchased, to bring them back, to package them, to send them out. So that, that's the piece of the work that for me, because of where I live, feels like daunting. Or if I add the drop shipping, which he will do, then I've got to price them at an amount that, you know, especially going abroad, as we know, the shipping costs now are getting ridiculous. Yeah. And so it just feels like... um like I say, all the admin of that and making sure he's got the right orders and and I'm not good at admin. So I think that's another thing you have to consider yes. is, is it does it fit with you and what you're good at? Because yep. if, you, if you're good at systems, but where do you, you pick yours up, don't you? But are they closer to you? Yeah, so I basically, my, my and I've done it in, I think I've added three different stage, uh, images of prints at three different stages. And I think I've added... I can't remember now five or five or six or at one point just added three new ones each time so there's quite a range up there now it's all older work and this was the one rule that I had for myself was um, actually there are two rules that I really stick to one is I never made a print print available of a piece of work until the original had sold so that you don't have here is the original here is a print you can buy a print at a third of the price that that just kind of seemed screwy to me so prints only made available once the original has sold um I don't upscale them more than I think I mean I prefer to upscale only by sort of 50 percent the company that I that who licenses some work they say that their limit is double so if the original is 40 centimeters they would print it up to 80 centimeters the individual marks that you make get scaled up of course too and it can feel a little bit a little bit oversized if you do that but of course you do have the option of a different size so if you've got a big painting that you've done at a meter that can work it can work as a meter print 80 centimeters 60 centimeters even right down to 40 so it also from that point of view it's a little bit easier to do 
once you're already working a bit bigger, which in my experience tends to only happen when you're a little bit further into Mm. your career as an artist, we all tend to start working a little bit smaller. So if your original is only 40 centimetres, my experience is people tend to want larger prints. And so you're still not going to be able to get that as an offer with a 40 centimetre original painting because it's going to have to be stretched too much to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I just started fairly simply. So you, you, you've just you've got to have those images done ready on your website um, with the different size options available. And yes, my printer is the same as my framer. So he's fairly yeah. local. The kind of mistake that I made a little bit was that because I don't sign my paintings on the front and because at the time I was making etching type prints and you sign those on the front, I started signing all the reproduction prints, even though they're not numbered and limited edition. And that definitely puts an extra step in it because the ones that he does ship sometimes I still have to go in and sign them. Whereas if I if I never had the signing on the thing, that would make the whole possibility of drop shipping a whole lot easier. Yeah. I don't like printed signatures. I, I would kind of go either don't sign it or don't print it. The, the, a printed signature for me feels a bit screwy. And also if you've got a signature on your painting to then sign the print on top, feels like it's doubling up to me. What was the reason that you decided to do not limited edition? Um, Because in printmaking world, there is a real reason for a limited edition. So when you have an etching plate, the number of times it goes through the press, the print will slightly degrade. Um, Some kind of um, of monoprints, you can only maybe get 10 pulls of the plate. Etchings, you can get more. Um, So there is a reason in printmaking why prints are numbered because print number one is a different it's going to be a different kind of print and the lower numbers are higher value than print number 50 is did not did not know that see yeah did not know that and what we're doing here is we have got a digital file which is the same every time it's printed or should be the same every time it's printed so for me it's a little bit of it's an artificialness to limit them and I understand why people they do it because it creates a little bit more demand there's a little bit more pressure to buy um you know if there's an image that you want and it's going to go out of you know out of stock sell out whatever um but this goes back then to the reason for creating them in the first place for you that wasn't the reason for creating them in the first place for me there are copies of paintings They can be done however many times. And the reason was to make work available at a lower price. So it just didn't sit with my reasons for making prints. If I was to do something that was different, that was an original, that was a digital original creation, an artwork that only existed in digital form and G clay print happened to be the way that it was created, then I would do a limited edition number. Mm. Yeah, I think that's how I felt about it too. I felt like it felt forced and not and not genuine. And also you go back to the whole admin side of it. If you've got yes. a print that's available at 40, 60, 80 centimetres, you know, how do you number them? Is Do you do 50 of the 40 centimetres? Do you 50 of the 60 centimetres? Then you end up, or you're keeping track of all of them. 
and actually you're numbering it it just does in printmaking terms it doesn't make any sense you can't have number one of an edition is 40 centimeters number two of an edition is 60 centimeters because in yeah. printmaking that should be the same thing like it's an edition it's the same the so, only way I've seen it done yeah is when an artist has bought them all so they've bought like 40 prints and they're numbered one to 40 and they're for sale and I was not interested in investing in 40 prints of something because the chances of selling all 40 seem fairly slim especially when we go back to the idea of yeah it's hard to guess which ones people will want yeah, yeah. and that goes back to the days of lithographic printing when you had to have metal plates made and a proper lithographic um, reproduction made because you know you can't do that on an ad hoc can you print me two more basis like you can with digital and g-clay printing g-clay is just a fancy french term by the way for inkjet <laughs> but it sounds much better <laughs> it does but it is done with proper ink and really really good paper so um yeah well, from the, so that's my from the, that's my theory on numbers and also you know on the admin front keeping track of numbers nightmare yeah me oh I'd be so bad at that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be 329s out there and no 30s yeah. so from the we've talked about from the reason why you did it is that you yeah. want that to be available from a business perspective yeah. if someone's yeah. thinking about this let's say they are quite far along their originals are selling and um, they now want to do prints from a business perspective is it has it been worthwhile yes it has um it has been worthwhile because I was working it can give you continuity so as well as giving people that other option to buy at a lower level and often then they not often but you know, sometimes they will come back. It's a way for them to connect with you and they'll come back and they'll buy originals. Um, but it also gives a little bit of continuity. So I was working for events, two or three or four a year, creating work. This gives something that can be leveled off in between. And if you do your number crunching properly, it can it can be worthwhile. I mean, I I look to check for this and I think, Last year, I sold close to £9,000 worth of prints, which, you know, that's, I'm happy with that. That's, yeah, for, for work that already exists, that's second, you know, that's secondary. So those are, that's extra money from paintings that have already sold. Is that revenue or profit? That's revenue. Right. So profit wise, um, even doing, even on the scale that you're doing it, which is quite, I mean, you, you do quite well with them. I don't promote them at all. I don't, I've never done. This is one of the things that's sort of on my list is to do something where I do sort of, you know, maybe set up Facebook ads or I I just, I just don't promote them at all. I'm really bad at it because my heart's always in the creating the new work. And I think that that probably is something to consider. I think if I promoted them more, the sales would be higher. Yeah, I do too. But I don't because I'm more interested in the new work. I'm happy to have them sort of ticking along there. Um, but yeah, it's yeah nice, I mean, it's worth nice it. And extra. At, yeah. And at a point where, you know, you're growing your original painting sales to have that extra stream. I, it's helpful. Why not? Yeah. I, th- I suppose the why not would be if you feel like it's pulling you away from 
what you really want to do so you've got to really want to do it haven't you that's what it comes back to it's got to be a key part of as you said you've got a driver for doing it which makes perfect sense in Mm -hmm. line with everything else you're doing whereas my driver for doing something like that came from the book like I, I I can I can deal with the admin and all the nightmare because I really want that out there yeah I don't seem to be able to feel like I want the hassle for the prints yeah, um, yeah. and I th- but there are people I've seen on Instagram and they could be making it up but I don't think they are there are people who make their living from prints mm-hmm who that's like driving most of their revenue. And that presumably is where the opposite of you, where they're putting all their heart and soul into that print business and less so into making the originals. Well, I think presumably if you got to the stage where you were really driving higher volume of sales at that point, you could afford to pay to help somebody come in and help do all the stuff that's the stuff that you don't like doing, the rolling and the wrapping and the sending and the sorting of the shipping and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, but then you're thinking about it in very much business growth terms, aren't you? Whereas for most of what we're talking about, it's like, is this going to be a worthwhile use of my time and a useful addition to what I make available for people to buy? And it's impossible for anyone else to say, the thing that I think has made it important, workable for me, I think there are two really important ends of the scale. One and we're assuming that you're already selling work that is in demand. One is how to get a good enough image. Where do you do that? How, how do you who how do you find somebody to get that for you? Who's doing the repro graphic work on it, the checking of it, and how the printing is happening. And that, you know, I'm not going to lie, that took a long time. It took a long time. I literally went on to... Um, photography directory websites and I think I spent I spent weeks calling photographers asking them getting questions about and lots of people said they could do it but when it actually came down to it they couldn't um and this was because I went to some of the London reprographics place and their costs for a scan was you know they were too high for me at the time you know I, I don't want to pay 80 pounds for a scan of a painting that I'm not sure is going to sell I mean at that point I didn't you know I, I couldn't do that so I found a photographer and if I had six works he could set aside a morning and I think I paid him 40 an image um mm. in London so you know but even that that was 240 pounds up front so you so you've got to work out then you've got to sit how much is this going to cost me to get those images how many prints do I have to sell in, in order to break even from that and is that likely given my current rate of sales and my audience because otherwise what you're doing is you're just spending money on something and if you're not going to have enough of a turnover of sales to make it worthwhile then it's possibly not worth doing yeah the person I found near me um he's he does photography or scanning he's just basically fine art printing yeah so he he photographs or scans depending on the size then he does the adjustments um and then he will either make the prints for you to ship out or he will drop ship 
And so given that I live in a quite rural area, I'm lucky that he's, you know, 40 minutes away and he's very, mm-hmm. very good. The proofs he sent me for the for the photographs that he took for the book were they were stunning. He sent me a proof of each one on the on the G clay paper, you know, the paper he would use if he was going to do a G clay print. And they look amazing. Um, and he was 50 pounds per image and adjustment. So yeah. the scanning and adjustment is 50 pounds because he said, you know, I don't make much on the prints. Like my my upfront cost is in the photography and adjusting. So I think mm-hmm. that's very reasonable. And of course, it's cheaper because I'm up here and mm-hmm. our costs are a little bit cheaper. And but 40, minutes, still... 40 minutes isn't too far to go. No, it's not too far. It's a lovely drive. It's like, yeah, I mean, my drive to my photographer across London takes me an hour and a half to get there. So, oh, yeah. And mine's like across sweeping hills and moorlands. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. But um, it's still very expensive. You know, that's 50 pounds each. And I was having 34 paintings photographed and and or scanned. Again, um, somebody sent me an email this week saying, I don't understand how you can't make money from this book. I don't understand how books can't be profitable. Obviously never met an author before, but I was just thinking, God, the photography costs alone, which I fronted, you know, I can't can't even do the sums on that, but people can work it out. It was expensive, Mm. Um, but it's all done now. And they're all photographed and they're there. And if I want to make prints, the cost is gone and I won't be thinking about it anymore because it's already on the books. But it is expensive. And and so but the way you do it then is you have a photographer. Yeah. And then who does the adjustment? So the way that he does it, he has this incredible camera um, and basically each image is is three photographs and it it gathers different information on each photograph and he can totally adjust the lighting to pick it so I'm always there when he does it because there are some paintings that we want slightly more lit to one side and then he can adjust for that in his camera software and it's all the color I don't have to do any color correction ever the color correction is all perfect because it's all done with sampling stuff Um, but what I do is I go through two things that I do on Photoshop I go through and I spot check for you know any little bits of dust that have got caught in the paint or you know maybe there's a tiny little hair or a scratch because what I noticed is those kind of things in a painting somehow you kind of forgive but when you see it in a print it looks like a mistake (laughs) Right. <laughs> you know, so I do a little bit of touch up in, in that regard. And then the other thing, because the first ones that I did were on wood panel and you get quite a nice build up of paint, don't you, around the edge of a wood panel. And it kind of sometimes it sort of swells over and you get I didn't just want to do a kind of cut square crop. So I go through and I mask out all the edges so that you get that beautiful kind of edge. I sand all that off. I don't have oh, any. I love that. I love that. So when you get the print, you have it almost this slight three dimensional right. feel to it. And it's one of those things that's kind of pointless and a bit obsessive and possibly nobody who buys them notices. But I like it. So that's the other thing that I do. And I obviously you need Photoshop for that. And then yeah. I just do sample prints with my printer at big scale and small just to check before before I kind of we get the finalized file and you know those all have to be done on the biggest file that you're working with so yeah. you know working with files that are probably at that size about 
180 megabytes quite big image files yeah they're massive the ones yeah. he sent me we put them all in dropbox but it was like i couldn't even you know i couldn't put those on my computer yeah yeah so i mean there's there is a lot to to think about one thing that possibly i would suggest if you want to experiment on this without um going to these kind of costs is some of the some not all you have to check but some of the home printers do very good scans so if you are working small maybe on those six i'm not sure about eight inches um yeah eight inches would fit so those small home printers that are a4 size will scan up to eight inches easily and some of them will scan at 2400 dots mm-hmm. per inch resolution so you could double that so you could take an image an original that was eight inches about 20 centimeters double it and you've got a print that's 40 and you could make that available to people without that cost up front yeah so that's something to think about what you need to look for is a good resolution print needs to be 300 dots per inch so if you want to print something at 10 inches your image file needs to be 3000 pixels along that edge so anything that you get from an iphone not going to cut it and you just don't get that quality of the information in the image it's all it all kind of comes out just a little bit smoothed over and a little bit blurred it's not that super pin sharp that you get from a camera that's got a fantastic lens or a scan yeah but that would be something to try something a bit smaller perhaps test it out and see we even at one point this was quite a few years ago we bought an a3 printer that was supposed to be able to do uh decent prints and we bought decent paper and we went through all this process of seeing if we could do our own prints, but it, it was a really expensive A3 printer and it still swallowed up the proper paper and wouldn't work. And it was just so frustrating that we yeah. just gave up. Yeah. So, but it does mean I've got an A3 scanner now, which means I can even scan larger. So if I wanted to try doing any of that, um, but when I did the photographs of my book, so all the photographs of the finished paintings were done by, uh, the photographer but I also was showing sketches and all sorts of studies and so those I took myself photographed myself and many of them were too big to be scanned so all they were in sketchbooks so if I put the sketchbook laying flat down it didn't work in the scanner and for that I used your amazing advice on your membership group you had shown how to use a DSLR camera had to buy a DSLR camera, another cost in the negative column on the book. Uh, and then I had to spend a day where I think I was messaging you saying, ah, it's still not right. It's still not right. But I did get images and the publisher said, oh, these are great. You know, and in the end, I was able to get ones that were high enough quality for them. Because yeah. it's got it's got a better. I mean, cameras on iPhones are great and they're better all the time, but it does do things to the colours um, and a DSLR is going to be um, more accurate. 
Um, and you can usually change the settings. And what you really want to do is photograph it in raw format, which gets more information. But then you need something like Photoshop to edit it. So yeah. it is a level of technical head scratching, which is a which is a little bit of a of an aggro. So you just got to work out whether you think it's worthwhile. Um, I know there's going to be questions on costings and how much should you mark it up and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm looking at mine at the moment and I kind of start with a, uh, let me just double check, one, two, three, a little bit between about three and a four times markup. Um, the, obviously your costs will come in and they'll have VAT added to them. You've also got to do the legwork, the time spent doing the shipping you've got to buy the packing materials you've got to buy the tubes you've got to allow for the fact that the shipping cost varies I allow for the fact that shipping cost is usually more expensive than I charge for because I don't think people want to spend 12 pounds on shipping on a tube for a print that costs 50 quid it's too much so I have a smaller shipping cost that I add but then I have to pay for it um and you also need to think about, are you only going to be selling these direct? If you're going to be selling them through gallery commission, four times would be a minimum, because by the time the gallery has taken their commission off, you're 50%, then you've got to pay all your costs out of it. You're getting less than 25%, aren't you, of what you're yeah. selling it for? So you've got to do a little bit of number crunching. Um, what I do notice, though, is that as they get bigger and maybe this is just me not being brave enough, as they get bigger, they get a lot more expensive to create, a lot more expensive. And I I can't, I feel like I can't justify. So the markup on those is less than half. So the ones that are on my website for 340, I make 110 pounds off. Right. So 200 and whatever it is of that is the cost of production for the big ones. I have a question that keeps popping into my mind. And so I'm just going to ask it now. So I, lots of the artists that I love, I will go to their websites and they won't do prints mm. and their work is valued really highly. So mm. it's like, I can't afford an original. I'll go see if they have a print. No, they don't do prints. Does that not having prints increase the value of the originals? Because you don't see, so like someone like Brian Rutenberg, he's not making prints. Mm. He's just doing a big $20,000. If you want it, it's here. Otherwise, go away. Yeah. Do you think there's something in that? Or is it just that Brian Rutenberg and his gallery camp, you know, doesn't want the hassle? I don't know. <laughs> I know we're only guessing, but I'm Possib wondering. Yeah, possibly. And I'm certainly thinking about the ones that I have on my website at the moment now are older work. And I'm thinking in the autumn of taking them all down. Quick, everybody buy one now if you want one. <laughs> you know. Um, because what, why are you thinking? Because they're not related to what you're doing now. Yeah, and, and possibly then what I might do is bring out some that come out on, a, probably not numbered because of my rules about numbering 
if they're reproductions, but I might bring out seasonally a couple that are only available for two months because that concentrates all the admin work. What it doesn't cover is the people who want to buy one for a birthday present and that kind of thing. But I, you know, going back to the question, do I want to grow it enough so that I have to pay for admin staff to come in and do it? I could do. Do I want to? Mm, not really. So it does sort of get to that stage a little bit where it starts to become a bit. And I think this is like a lot of things that we do as artists, you know, something that feels right at one stage in your in your time scale, you move on from. And I kind of feel like, I mean, I love them. I get them back from the printer without fail. I get them back from the printer and I unroll them to sign them and do all the wrapping. And I think, God damn, this looks good. And when they're framed and I see them framed up, they look fantastic. They're still, there's nothing wrong with them. I suppose it's just that my heart a little bit has moved on. So I'm just, I'm just wondering how for me, if they were just not there, that would give me a little bit more clearer headspace. But, you know, that's just the product of, of where I am now. I think that's one of the things we've talked about before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but we've talked about it before, about making more room. And that's a, a bit why I think I haven't taken the leap, because it's like I've got so much going on. And one more thing. Do I really need to do one more thing? And yes, it would be nice for the people who can't afford an original but my you know we're not here just to do things for other people we're also here for ourselves and I kind of feel like this next 12 months I just want to take it easy so I think that's a good the point I just wanted to make about that and the reason why I've learned this lesson is through mistake after mistake after mistake that I have a tendency to go oh good idea yeah Mm -hmm. I'll do that and that and that and that And then it all piles up and you reach a point where I reached three or four weeks ago where everything came together at one time and I was overwhelmed. So just I think for now, I've decided, yeah, I'm not going to because I just if things are really quiet at some point in my life, haha. And this could be, you know, something to do a nice little, like you said, steady income stream, then that would be fine. But at the moment, it just feels like one thing too much. So I think if you're thinking about this, you do have to be realistic about everything that's involved, not just costs, but time as well. And just be sure that you're okay with it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that came into my decision making at the time, I remember the first art fair I did and I've spoken about this, and it was a bit of a muddle, and I was talking to other artists there, and there were people who were selling cards, and it was, you know, and I could see them making sales of their cards. And I was just thinking, how much time are you spending talking about or making sales for cards, for a pack of cards for, you know, five pounds, rather than focusing on your art that's on the wall, that's your real reason for being here? And that always seemed a bit off for me. And then I remember one artist saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, the card costs, selling the card costs, that covers my stand. And just trying to square in my head how how I wanted to make that balance between the costs of being an artist, the ability to carry on working and where you were getting your revenue from. And for me, cards really felt a no-no. I didn't want to start 
packaging cards and cellophane wraps and doing all of that kind of thing. So prints was a little bit bulkier, if you like, than cards. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that became, that was an alternative. Um, so that's kind of where it came. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong, but I just think that sometimes people see, you know, prints as a, solution or a mass market solution well it, it it can be a wider audience solution but you've got to make sure you've got that wider audience who are interested and have that demand for your work um, I actually did that I'm just remembering I totally forgot this but it's probably seven years ago I got cards and prints made mm. of this work that I was doing at the time just based on this is so funny just based on the feedback of a few people who said oh this is amazing I'd love a print of this and I thought oh and I found actually the guy who does the photography for me now was doing it then and I found him and he made up some cards which I've still got box of upstairs and he and he photographed everything yeah exactly when people say I've still got boxes of them or I've got prints got a box of them upstairs because it was way too soon and the prints were just on order with him so that was drop shipping so that was fine I didn't but I spent money on the photography which I probably just about covered I probably just covered my costs and then within this is another thing that makes me against prints within six months my work had moved on I didn't want to be selling those anymore and I still do that I still move so fast constantly changing and that I I feel like that's another so don't do as I did people and if anybody wants a card from me let me know because I got a box of them upstairs (laughs) be inundated with card requests now no I I don't mean it I I think the work moves and I have quietly removed a few of my first ones um I I like I still like all the actually some some of them that are on the website now I've got in my kitchen (laughs) because <laughs> I have had, I've had them done and framed as examples in shows and for open studios and this is what it would look like at this size and I still love them as paintings but it, you know I think when your work shifts you just move away from what it was before um, so it's definitely something to consider just one thing before we finish on this and I know people will say you know where do I go where can I find though you've got to look for who's in your area there really isn't a shortcut on this if you know artists around you ask them ask for referrals um but really there isn't you know there can't be a list of go to this place the only thing that I have always stayed away from are people who do it where you upload the image and it gets sent off without you seeing just because of just for quality control purposes yeah yeah I don't I had one time with my printer I went along and I was like, what's happened with this print? And he was like, oh, it was done on that machine and it's got new or some, something, that machine and it's just been recalibrated. I was like, well, it's wrong. It can't go out. I need you to print it on this machine. It's the one that you've always used and it's always got to be this machine now. Whereas if it had been going directly, I would never have seen that. And that would yeah. be a problem. Yeah. So it's still it's still involvement. Although I do have a slightly better system now. Now I have a shared google spreadsheet with the printer and i just put the information in that and everything's in there rather than just doing it by email i think that's a good point when we're talking about a topic like this it's natural if you're listening to think oh god so i've got to do that and that and that and that but your process and everything you're doing has evolved Mm. 
over time slowly and the system you just implemented was just this year I think or the the spreadsheet so it just happens you figure it out bit by bit don't you Yeah. yeah and it would you know when I was first printing it didn't make any sense you know, it was like one would come in and all get really excited about it. And then five weeks later, another order would come in and I'd email Erin and she'd do it. Whereas and now I have a kind of I gather them together on Mondays, make sure everything's all in the spreadsheet and just let her know. Yeah, there's more prints this week and in you go. And we have a system where I can mark whether they're shipping them or I'm shipping them. They know not no longer ship outside of the UK which is a problem but the big ones like the canvas wrap ones it makes more sense for them to ship because they have trade access deals with FedEx and things so it makes Mm. more sense for them to ship those than me so but again you just you encounter each of these problems as you come to it I think what you and you can do it you can resolve each problem as you come to it but I think it does help to just be aware that there are things that you're gonna have to figure out and it's not not always a golden solution and it you really how much you really want to put your energy into that rather than developing your work and increasing your your sales of your originals that that's just my caveat with it I hope it doesn't sound like we're saying oh there's so much to think about and oh you don't want to do this oh we we're kind of um both going through our own mental struggles me with do I do it Alice with do I keep doing it and so we we kind of made a list or Alice actually made a detailed list of all the considerations and um we just want to make get all those out but you know if it's right for you and if it's right for you then you'll make it work and you'll figure out all these solutions and you'll do great with it so don't uh don't please think that we're leaving this on a downer note because we really didn't mean to it's just a it's one of those things it's basically you are starting a new business it, it's another um if this if you were a corporation it would be a department of your business or a a new revenue stream and you have to think of it that way because it's going to take up a chunk of time and you just have to decide if it's worth it to you so inside outside what's inspired this week alice well i was a bit naughty at the weekend we were supposed to go away and I looked at the weather forecast and it was like downpour rain for three solid days. And um, I didn't want to go to Dartmoor and be in the rain for three solid days. <laughs> I thought I would, I thought it would depress me. And I, I said to my husband, actually, do you know what? I didn't want to go. Not, I can't go or I'm too busy. I don't want to go. I want to do this instead. I want to stay home. I want to be able to go to the studio at the weekend. I want to clear up the house if I feel in the mood, sleep if I feel in the mood, watch telly on the sofa if I feel in the mood. I don't want to go to Dartmoor in the rain. So he went quite happily. Um, My son was off. My daughter stayed with me. She did some things with her friends and then we had nice film nights together. And it felt like a little secret because I told everybody that I was going to be away for the weekend and I wasn't. I was here. (laughs) you fibbed (laughs) but I think I think what was different was just that it's just that thing of saying I don't want to do that yeah not 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 feeling like I had to have an excuse or a reason I just said it's going to depress me if it rains every day 
you know, because I was thinking, I'll go, I'll take my sketchbook, I'll get out and draw and it'll be a change of environment and blah, blah, blah. I'm looking forward to all of that. And then I just looked at the weather and I was like, nah, not doing it, not doing it. It reminds me of, do you remember, I never really watched Friends, but there was a really funny scene I did see in Friends when the one with long blonde hair, the Phoebe, is it Phoebe? She said, somebody said, would you want to come and do this? And she went, oh, I really wish I could, but I don't want to. And I was like, yeah, I wish I could say that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice, actually. I had a, I had a, it was a good weekend and it's kind of led into, um, you know, a nice week and we're going this weekend instead. And so, the weather's going to be better. This well, week. I hope that it looks like the weather is going to be better. And I, I hope that I'm going to be meeting up with somebody and recording something for the membership. So I'm quite excited about that. Oh, exciting. Yeah. What about you? Have you had a good, good one? Well, I've had two inspiring things this week. So I was telling you last week, although it wasn't on the podcast, that I had painted a wall in my living room and it was a disaster. I tried to go for a dramatic dark color in my living room and I'd chosen this dark green, which should have been kind of muted and sophisticated, but actually looked like a snooker table. And it was just, I left it for three days to see if it would grow on me and it didn't. And I was getting a bit despairing. I kept going out and getting Farrow and Ball tester pots of Farrow and Ball colors and Oh, no, I hate that one. Oh, no, I hate that one. No, no, no. And then I came across one that was a Dulux Heritage. They have a line of heritage colors. And I thought it was my last shot. And I got a test apart and I painted a big sheet of cardboard with it and held it up to the wall. And I wasn't sure, but I did it. And it looks stunning. It looks so, so good. It's like a green that's also a blue and in different lights it looks different colors and it's really muted and calming and just beautiful so I'm going to do an extra two walls in it because it was just one wall but I'm going to do a little corner in it as well so yeah very nice I'm excited about that that's funny that green is coming in at the same time as it's coming in painting I know and well, you see, I've got this kind of master plan where I'm going to do one of the paintings I'm going to do it's going to be a really big one which is going to go on that wall so it's a good thing that it's going to match and I'm going to use some of the leftover paint in my painting so that I'll be one of those people whose paintings match the decor. How cheesy. Um, but also I have this book, which I'm showing you, which somebody sent me and I have again to apologize because I get lovely things in the post and then I'm so disorganized that I lose the card or I put it with something else and I don't know who sent it to me and I never say thank you. So if you are the person who sent me The Yellow House, Van Gogh, Gauguin and Nine Turbulent Weeks in Arles by Martin Gayford, thank you, because this is an amazing book. Have you read this book? It's really, really interesting. I'm only that halfway through. So I didn't. It's hard to imagine this is only about nine weeks because there's so much going on. But it's it's the intimate details of their life together during that time down to them trying new kinds of canvas to save money, them painting the same model together in a room and the paintings that came out of it, uh, their cooking arrangements, who did the cooking, who 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 hired the cleaner. Um, It's absolutely fascinating. I'm now up to the point where uh, how often they went to the brothel. 
So, you know, that was just part of life, apparently. But it's so interesting. And the letters that Vincent wrote to his brother that, about Gauguin and then the little notes that Gauguin wrote on the bottom to Theo saying, don't listen to Vincent, you know. It. And at the moment, they're getting on really well. So we must only be a few weeks in because I know it's all going to go tits up at some point. <laughs> so is it written as a novel? No, it's, a, it's, it's written just as a nonfiction account of what happened um and it's very much focused on the art so it goes into each painting they made at that time and what they thought of each other's work and why they admired each other and you know or where they didn't admire something that the other one had done and Gauguin had a bedroom where you had to walk through Van Gogh's bedroom to get to his bedroom and when he moved in it was all decorated with Vincent's paintings so he lived in a bedroom surrounded by Van Gogh's paintings the whole time he lived there. The whole house was decorated with Vincent's paintings. So, do you, anyway, do you trust it? I, I'm Books like that are fascinating. And then I always want to double check everything that's in them. <laughs> that's your open much, mind, Alice. How much artistic license has been taken? Is, is there a good bit, good chunky bit at the back with references so that we know that... Um, let me have a look. I'll tell you. This is in human design. Alice has an open mind. This means she questions everything and has to know the answers to everything. Um, no, it's not in the back. But I think because so much of it is from his letters, because yeah. he was so prolific with his letter writing, so much of it is from his letters and or history. Um, like, for example, um, he was rebuffed by a woman he said in the book says his answer to the rebuff was to go out and find a prostitute. So you might say, well, how did they know he went out and found a prostitute? Well, he wrote about it in his letter. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, he said that's so I'll be more cautious as I'm reading through it of seeing. But it seems very, very uh, because it's also because it's so rooted in the art. The art's a yeah. fact. You know, you yeah, can look yeah. at the paintings and see. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Because it kind of it looks like a novel, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very it's, yellow it's, cover yeah. with their images on it. I mean, that's the publishers trying to make it saleable, isn't it? It says wonderfully perceptive, says the Sunday Telegraph, revealing and touching. The narrative shifts subtly from art history, which is where I am now, to psychological thriller, which I oh. haven't got to yet. There you so. go. There's the artistic license. Let's we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to suck the joy out of it, but yeah, no, that sounds really good. I think there there are some great books where art and um, paintings have been kind of have been core to them. But I just, it's like when I watched the favorite, the film the other week with um, Olivia Coleman in, and I'm like, it's a great film. I really want to know how much is really real though. Oh mm. I, yeah, things like that. I watched um, Sylvia. It's an awful okay. film about Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath with Gwyneth Paltrow as Sylvia Plath mm. and Daniel Craig as Ted Hughes, who cannot even begin to compete. He's just nowhere near. And it is awful. It is so awful. And it's all poetic license. And I'm thinking, I know what happened in that particular situation. That's not what happened. Yeah. It's been made to into yeah. something else. Yeah. So this is much more of a more of a even though the cover looks like that, it's more of an academic so far yeah. history of what happened, but obviously things are going to get more um, open to interpretation when we get to yeah. what happens in the, I won't spoil it for everyone, but 
Somebody loses an ear. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> that, to be fair, that's the kind of thing that if someone wrote it in a book, you'd go, nah, not really. <laughs> not likely. Not realistic. So that's it for us this week. Make sure you tune in next week because it's our last episode for a while. I should have left a big gap there, shouldn't I? Da, 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 da. So we're going to take the break that we promised you. We're not quite sure how long it will be, but just a little summer break. And so next week's episode will be the last one before the break. But do subscribe because if we get the urge to do anything, um, we will drop it into the feed and you won't necessarily know unless you're already subscribed. And if you don't know how to subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts, there'll be a button that says subscribe. And that'll just mean that you get the podcast downloaded onto your phone or your other device whenever we release a new one. I think Apple might have changed it and it might be up in the top corner and it might say follow now. I was finding a new podcast the other day. So depending on which version of the app you've got, it might say subscribe or it might say follow. But either way, um, that's what you do. And then we shall see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.